Okay, whenever you're ready. Okay. So, uh, we're rolling? We're rolling? Okay, (laughs) we're rolling. Um, hi everyone, I'm Nicole Chapman, daughter of Jessica Chapman, who's the daughter of... Jeanette Friedman, born Durand, in Moscow, in 1937. And you're listening to Moscow to Marbury, a podcast about the life and lessons of Jeanette Durand Friedman. How many languages do you speak? Well, I used to speak German, which I forgot. I can still get here and there a little bit. I still speak French. I still speak Spanish because we lived two years in Peru and two years in Mexico. Mm. So that's where I learned Spanish. And, uh, oh yes, Russian. This is the story of an incredible woman. Namely, she is our grandmother. She has four daughters, Linda, Jessica, Adriana, and Laura, and three granddaughters, Corinne, Nicole, and Jessie. Throughout my life, she has been the ideal grandmother, driving her granddaughters around when our parents weren't able to, or frankly, too annoyed to, hosting joint pizza parties at her house for whoever's birthday was in a three-month radius, giving us snippets of wisdom and cautionary tales that none of us heeded until it was too late, and of course, loving us unconditionally. But she isn't just any ordinary grandmother. Her story is unique, enough to fill a few lifetimes worth of content, including, but not limited to, mystery, murder, love, shock, humor, loss, and above all, family. This is Moscow to Marbury, a podcast about the life and lessons of Jeanette Duran Friedman. We'll discover how she came from her birth in Moscow to live in a Maryland suburb close to DC, loved and respected by so many. I'm Nicole Chapman, and my life has been shaped by the woman I grew up around. My three lovely aunties have taught me when's the right time to laugh, the delicate balance of being classy and hilariously relaxed at the same time, and encouraged us kids to see beauty in ourselves and everything around us. My mother constantly taught me never to let anything go to waste, not the random food we had stashed in our cupboard for 10 years, nor the countless mistakes we made so that we could squeeze every life lesson out of them and they all credit their superior tutelage to their own mother, Jeanette. I'm used to people telling me that my grandmother's life should be made into a movie, or a limited Netflix series, the next quarantine pinge watch. So while we're all stuck here at home, why not spread a little light into the world and focus on an amazing woman with an incredible story? She's brought so much light into all of our lives, so we hope that this podcast can bring some light back into hers during one of the darkest of times. It might not be as good as Tiger King, but we're sure that this saga will keep you hooked. So sit back, pour yourself a good old Friedman pour, and enjoy. This is Moscow to Marbury, episode one, Winter in Moscow. I'm here. Where else do I go? Would you like to have some lunch, whatever there is? Okay, let's set up the scene here. Jeanette Durand was born 12 January 1937 in Moscow, Russia, and I later learned that it was a very snowy day. Picture this. Snow is covering the city of Moscow with its beautiful cathedrals and traditional Russian architecture, and the average temperatures are hovering at about 18 degrees Fahrenheit. Nice and balmy. It's about a decade into the era of Stalin, and he has been gradually gaining and consolidating power. 
In the late 1930s, Germany was already dangerous for Jewish people like Maurice, Jeanette's father. The Nazi party was completely empowered by 1939, and they were actively persecuting, murdering Jews, communists, homosexuals, and others. Tensions throughout Europe were running incredibly high. My mother was born in Switzerland, in the French part of Switzerland, from, I think, a quite wealthy family. All the furniture that's, that is here is from her grandmother, which is like my great-grandmother, and the paintings, which is a Swiss painter, and it's also from Switzerland and from her, from my great-grandmother. My father was born in uh, Poland, and then his parents moved to Germany, and his siblings, uh, his siblings were born in Germany, so he is the only one who was born in Poland, and he was a communist in Germany. He was arrested by the Gestapo, and the Gestapo chief there, who used to know his mother, told her, tell your son, he was going to expel him to um, Poland because he was born in Poland, tell him to never come back because he will be killed. And that's when my father, when he was released, he went to France, to Paris, and then he went to Moscow under a different name. He took a different name. What name did he take? He took... Um, he was born Maurice Frisch Landau, and he took Jean-Jacques Durand. And my mother was Germaine Perret, and she actually never took his name. She kept her name. So she, she's, she was Perret her whole life? She was Perret all her life, yes. She was expelled from Russia in 1941. And she had a very strenuous trip from Russia through Turkey to finally she got back to Switzerland and she was in Switzerland. So she didn't know where I was either. Remember, this is a time of political repression, propaganda, collectivization of agriculture. When the Soviet Union tried to show off its newfound prowess by tearing down its past and building anew with the powerful image of its leader. The Soviet power structure vandalized cultural monuments, and Stalin saw to it himself that some of Moscow's most famous cathedrals and structural masterpieces were destroyed. At this time, the Soviet Union was going through a massive period of rapid industrialization and was attempting to unify its neighbors under Soviet rule, despite resistance from many people, including Ukrainians. Stalin's grip on power was kept in place through his extensive cult of personality and the Soviet secret police, by that time, my father was already taken to, arrested, was mm -hmm. arrested in, in um, I think, February 1938. And my mother was told that, um, that he was sent for 10 years to Siberia. And when she went from prison to prison to try and see if he was in that prison, she was told to stop doing it or they would arrest her and then she was told to get out of Russia. She had a Swiss passport which was uh, a protection. During the eight years that my mother was away, I was two years in a children's home 
then one year with a foster family, and then five years with my foster grandmother, whom I loved very much. My father, of course, he was born in Poland, then his parents lived in Germany, but when he went to Soviet Union with a French passport, French name, and I don't know if that was part of the arrest. Part of the arrest could have been, it was in um, February 1938, and that's when Germany made a pact with Soviet Union. And so apparently a lot of people who were either born German, who were German, or even who spoke German, were arrested in uh, the Soviet Union in Moscow because of a pact um, that was made between Soviet Union and Germany. So we don't know I, if he was arrested because he was a Jew, if he was arrested because he came under a different name, or if he was arrested because of a pact between Germany and, and the Soviet Union because he was brought up in Germany initially before he took the French name. So your, your father was a Jew? My father was a Jew, yes. Was, was your mother Jewish? No, my mother no. was not Jewish. And the Jewish religion is passed by the mother. So therefore, I didn't know I was Jewish when I was in Russia, in Soviet Union. It's only, only when my mother came to get me, I was like 12 and a half almost, that she told me that my father was Jewish. I never knew until then what happened to him or what happened to her. I didn't know any of it. So for me, it was like, um, uh, like I came from nowhere. And I was shocked because I remember reading Taras Bulba, reading books about where they were described pogroms. And I always wondered, what does a Jew look like that they recognize him on the street? And I didn't know. And then I chose to say I'm Jewish, even though technically I'm not, because of um, practically most of my father's families were killed in Auschwitz. His mother was killed in Auschwitz, which is my, my grandmother on my father's side, was killed in Auschwitz. And I have some papers here where she was um, part of a convoy, and I think it was over 1,000 people in that convoy, number 58, and she, um, she was killed within two, three weeks after her arrest in France. And she, um, so I chose to say I'm Jewish because of the history, because in the Jewish law, Technically, I'm not. My father, when he was arrested, the German police chief who knew my, his mother, my grandmother, he told her, I am going to release your son because he was born in Poland and send him in exile, tell him to never come back or he will be killed. So when my father was released, went to Poland, went to France, first met where my, his mother had a brother and went to Paris. 
when he tried to get his mother out and she did not want to because it was 1933 so there were signs of fascism but people still did not believe uh, how bad it could get or how how much worse it could be and he um, when he went to Metz to his uncle he called his mother and to- and she would not leave Germany they had a first store in Germany in Duisburg and so he told her that her brother in Metz which is France was very sick and she had to come to take care of him so she otherwise she would not leave Germany so she left Germany and then he called his three other siblings his brother and two sisters Aunt Henny was one of the sisters and uh, told them to pack everything they could and come out because Germany was not safe for Jews. So, so your father essentially lied to like trick your <laughs> trick your yes. grandmother to get out of Germany. Yes, and then uh, my aunt, aunt Aunt Annie always said that she owed her life to my father because he told them to get out of Germany, and that was 1933. So it was still, uh, it was still, the Jews still had hopes. And like my grandmother had a first store, her husband died, but natural death before. And so, but she still, she had a first store and all of that. So the Jews were still able to have their own businesses. And they were not as persecuted as it became later on. Your father's ethnicity, he's German, right? Mm, Well, it's hard to say. He was uh, born in Poland. Mm -hmm. His three siblings were born in Germany. I don't know what my father considered himself because when he went to Paris, he took a French nationality and French name before going to Soviet Union. So he moved, he was born in Poland and then moved to Germany? Yes. Do you know how long he was in Germany? Um, I think he was a child, uh, a toddler when he moved to Germany. So the rest of his life, he lived in Germany because that's where uh, his parents, when his father died, his mother kept the store. And he actually was trained as a furrier because it was a fur store uh, you know furs and he was trained and so he was more brought up as german than anything else because poland he was just he was born there but he left when he was less than two years old to germany duisburg he was uh, he was a very ardent communist uh, and he traveled to Latin America. I have no idea why. Maybe it was to buy furs. Maybe, I don't know, because he was part of a fur store, you know, for a while before he uh, was expelled from Germany. And uh, so it's hard to know because my mother died when she was 45. So there were many questions that I could not ask her and at the time that she was alive I barely lived with her 
so it's um, so I was not I didn't know what to ask I was not able to ask and I was really uh, I did not live with her more than two months I think what do you remember about her what I remember of her she was um, she was very shy she spoke several languages when she left, I was four years old, and I was already in a children's uh, home, evacuated from Moscow because of uh, World War II. And uh, I remember having to learn Russian, which means that prior to that, I was with another family. And according to my mother, I spoke Finnish. You spoke Finnish? Which Do I don't remember a single word. Oh, wow. So your first language was Finnish? That's according to her. Oh, okay. Wow. But I do remember when I was four years old, walking with a, like a, whoever was taking car, uh, care of us, uh, trying to learn Russian and tra- trying to learn how to pronounce the R's, which I cannot get rid of now. The R? Can you, can you show us how you do the R, the Russian R? R, Russia, instead of, it's a much more stronger R, it's a Russian R. Okay, so a lot like harsher. Yes. But you said you struggled with that? Yes, I just remember having to repeat a sentence in Russia, which every single word has an R in it. Really? I can <laughs> even repeat it now. <laughs> Please, can you repeat it? Nagare Ararat. Rastyot krasnei vinagrad. What does that mean? On the, on the mountain of Ararat, which is somewhere near East uh, Turkey, grows a red uh, vineyard, or vinagrad, uh, vineyard. My father was taken prisoner when I was uh, a few months old maybe a year old, mm-hmm. so I don't remember. My mother, we, I remember li- living in a, some kind of underground room, and she told me, yes, that was, uh, you know, below, um, below first uh, room, but she also said that she lost that room when my father was taken prisoner, and that she was often would sleep in the park, was homeless for a while. And maybe this is when I went, I was with a Finnish family. And I do remember, I have a very vague memory of her when I was four years old and it, we were evacuated from Moscow because the Germans were bombing. They were very, very close to Moscow. And so we were evacuated, we, the children, evacuated into a countryside. And I remember being on a dirt road, walking with one of the uh, people who took care of us, caregivers, trying to learn Russian. And when I see someone coming on the dirt road, and I see myself running towards her, and that was my mother who came to say goodbye, because she was leaving. Um, she gave me a doll, which the moment she left, the doll was taken away um, because nobody else had a doll. 
and um, so that, and I have a few memories of that camp um, where we were as children. Do you remember the, the people, your caregivers, were they Russian, were they? Oh yes, no, no, they were all Russians. And it was, um, um, it was the children were evacuated from Moscow and I heard from somebody else that it was highly unusual because usually the whole families were evacuated, not just the children, but that was the children only. And we were somewhere in the countryside, um, in countryside in the woods. I do remember like rows and rows of beds, so it was in a building. And also that um, I remember that everything had to be black at night because you could hear the planes, and that had to be German planes. Were you and, scared at night when the planes uh, came? I remember being scared, and if I had to go to the bathroom, there was like a, in the hall, there was like an attendant sitting there, and, um, and also I remember sitting at long tables, eating, and sometimes if I didn't like what it was, I would sit there for who knows how long, sit alone until I had to finish whatever was in front of me. And that was in the children's home. Do you remember what they fed you, like what you liked and didn't like? I don't remember. What I didn't like, it had to be some kind of a jelly, you know, like gelanius. To this day, I don't like it. <laughs> so, um, <laughs> but otherwise, I, I don't have too many memories because I was like four years old. I do remember when uh, I stayed there about two years, and when we were coming back, it was a very, very long train ride, and then everybody just being um, chaos outside because the parents had come to get their children, and I was just standing there, and um, nobody came towards me and I didn't know where to go. I was like six years old. And then a woman came to me and I said, are you my mother? She said, no. And when I used to read to all of you and to my girls, are you my mother? A little chicken who goes book. around. Yeah, yeah. I always think of that moment, me asking that woman, are you my mother? And she said, no. And it was a foster home somewhere she had two children there was an old grandmother and um, i stayed there i think i stayed there at least a year maybe two years you know i was like out of it like you put me here okay you put me there okay it's like somebody was deciding for me and i have no idea why i was moved from that family I do remember I was not always happy. I remember being put in a corner and the grandmother would sneak a piece of bread to me. So I I don't remember if they couldn't handle me or if they just, or if it was felt that I had to go to Moscow so that I could attend school because I think it was in the countryside. That's what I remember. So, um, and to be, to go to my grandmother, it was like another unknown. You put me here, okay. You put me there, okay. You put me here, okay. 
but when I stayed the longest with her, five years, and I, I loved her. Hope. I think that's a good place to stop for now. Things were looking pretty dark for Jeanette's family. Her father was presumed to be imprisoned or already dead, and her mother couldn't look for him lest she risk the same fate. Jeanette hadn't seen her mother for years, couldn't even pick her out of a crowd. I remember her reading that story to us when we were little. Are you my mother? With the little ducks asking all the animals if they were their mother. And I never understood the significance of it until now. I think that's one of my favorite traits about my grandmother. Even though a situation might befall her that appears despairing at first blush, one never really is convinced that she won't somehow make it through to the other side just fine. She's had enough experiences in her life to understand that from darkness comes light. And that in the end, all we really have the capacity to do is to hope. Thanks for listening. We'll be back next time with more stories, intrigue, and adventures. This episode is brought to you by the Friedman Pour. Do you ever pour yourself a glass of wine and wish you just had more? Well, now you can have more with the Friedman Pour. The Friedman Pour allows you to consume more wine without having to go through the hassle of refilling. Who needs that? Enjoying a romantic date night? Neither are we. Neither are we. (laughs) 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 It's so good. (laughs) Enjoying a romantic date night? Neither are we. The Friedman Pour is perfect for that. Curl up with the Friedman Pour and listen to Moscow to Marbury, the best way to enjoy a podcast. Need I say more? With the Friedman Poor. This has been the first episode of Moscow to Marbury. Thanks for listening. I hope you enjoyed it. And that you'll continue to tune in as we release new episodes every month. We want to end each episode with a story about Jeanette. And I'll start by talking about the time that Grandma, Adriana, Nicole, my mom and I all took a road trip to Niagara Falls. I have so many good memories from that trip like joking around with Adriana about surfing over the falls, falling asleep in the back of the car, and waking up hours off course at a gas station in Frackville. But one memory that sticks out was when Grandma saw a maple leaf on the ground and asked, is that marijuana? I don't remember how old I was or if I even knew what marijuana was, but to this day, every time I see a maple leaf on the ground, it makes me laugh and think of Grandma. Moscow to Marbury is produced by Corinne Chapman and Nicole Chapman, with help from Jesse Friedman. This episode was edited by Corinne Chapman and written by Nicole Chapman. Our sound engineer is Corinne Chapman. Our best reporting comes from Jesse Friedman. And of course, the utmost gratitude and respect for Grandma, G-Money, Jeanette Duron Friedman.